thought I would take you for a walk in the woods to start off our program today. Listen. You hear the bullfrog? Welcome to In the Weeds with Nicole Asquith, exploring the way culture shapes our relationship to the natural world. This is the fourth and likely final of my socially distanced with episodes. I recorded this one back in April when we were still getting used to the collective quarantine. Amy Hall, VP of Social Consciousness for the clothing brand Eileen Fisher, was my guest in episode 14. We examined the social and environmental cost of our clothes, looking at things like how and where different fabrics are made, and the elaborate journey from alpaca, silkworm, or tree to finished product. If you haven't listened to it yet, you may want to go back and listen to it first. So how are you doing? I'm not bad. I'm hanging in there, as they say. (laughs) That's good. Everybody says that. (laughs) Are you home with both of your daughters and your husband? Home with two daughters, my husband, and two dogs, who normally are quite vocal. They bark at everything that goes by, but because the weather is so bad today, nothing is wandering by on the street, so it's working out in my favor. Oh, that's good. What kind of dogs do you have? They're both kind of um, mixes. I like to say they're part neurotic and part pathetic. (laughs) Um, (laughs) They're just, um, one is a part Newfie and very high strung, and the other one is sort of a hound mix, and she's, she's a nervous wreck. She's She's wedged herself in between my desk chair and the desk, which is about six inches away. She can't really fit, but she's so nervous. This weather's making her very nervous. So Aww. the two of them have their issues. <laughs> well, we, we got a puppy around Christmas time. And so living with a dog has been a big part of my reality lately. Oh, God. I'm actually, I'm actually really grateful to have her, even though she's a lot of work. Um, during this time, partly for the kids' sake, because she's a great outlet for the kids, but for my sake, too, because she gets me outside a lot, you know. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, you just, you you become so dependent on your family, you know, it really intensifies those relationships for both better and for worse, I think. I think so, yeah. And in my case, my kids are both teenagers, and they're very self-sufficient. I barely see them. It's almost like they're not here we're all kind of just doing our own thing inside our house, which is fine. Um, most of the time we come together at certain points during the day and remind each other that we're all here. (laughs) Yeah. Well, that sounds less excruciating than having to actually supervise the homeschooling, which, Oh my God, last week was the sort of pseudo spring break. (laughs) 
Oh, yes, so, the non-spring break. So, yes. so I had one child who did his work, which was pretty minimal last week, and the other child who was on strike who said, I don't care what Governor Cuomo says about <laughs> spring break. Oh, so we kind of let that go, but reality is setting in again this morning. And uh, yeah. Anyway, interesting experiment. So are, are you managing to work from home? Yes. Um, we have all been, the whole company... Gee, I think we've been working from home for three or four weeks now. Those of us who are still working, you know, the stores are all closed and anybody related to the stores mostly doesn't have any work. Anyway, those of us who are still providing essential value to the company are still are still working. So I'm working in the mornings for the most part, which is giving me extra time to do things that I had forgotten that I like to do in the afternoons. Yeah, so it's it's working out. That's good. One of the things I've been wondering with this whole experience is if it's going to shift some of our buying habits more towards online. I noticed it less with clothes, although actually I signed B up for, forgetting what it's called now, but one of these online things where you fill out a questionnaire and they put together a number of choices for you. But with food, particularly, I'm cobbling together this like palette of food (laughs) options where I have Hudson milk delivering milk and eggs and things like that. So I'm wondering in the clothing industry, if you've thought about how this might affect the way we buy clothes at all. Well, that's a really good question. I was, you know, I receive a lot of um, news updates from various sources and everybody says that one of the outcomes of, of this pandemic will be that we are going to all be staying at home more often than we did before. We are going to be relying more on online purchases of all kinds of things. And we're not going to be buying things that are, at least in the beginning, that are frivolous or maybe not essential. So I think, you know, we'll be more careful with our money. We'll be more thoughtful with how we spend our money. It'll take a while to ramp up. So, you know, with clothing, it's already started, you know, with Amazon and we all have our own websites, but I think we're going to have to really think about how to ramp that up, how to meet a different kind of need than we had before. Mm-hmm. Um, it's not just casual spending. How do we make our, our clothes more relevant to the new, the new lifestyle that's going to be emerging out of this, I think? Yeah. So I know you said you want to speak to your personal perspective and not to the company perspective. So I have, if I ask a question that you're not comfortable with, just just tell me. But I was wondering about how this is affecting supply chains since the fashion industry is such a global industry, um, since China and that part of the world is probably a significant part of that chain, at least for certain products. Do you have anything to sort of comment on in terms of sure. that? Sure. Gosh, so where to start? The, yes, so the, the apparel supply chain is definitely global. There are very few apparel companies, unless you're kind of a small, you know, you'd consider yourself maybe a, a maker in makerspace or artist, artisanal where you can rely solely on U.S. made. There's very few apparel makers that can source exclusively in the United States. And so um, this, so... So for us as a company, we were already um, experiencing some shifts in our supply chain. Our business was already slightly soft, which meant that we were already seeing a, you know, a downturn in, in sales. We've been seeing that for a couple of years, really. So this pandemic just amplified that. And now with very few 
purchases coming in um, and they're all online, what, what few we have, we have really had to look at our supply chain perhaps differently than, than we had been. We, A, we really want to make sure that everybody is safe and okay, right? Mm-hmm. That's the number one priority. Um, on top of that, we need to, we had to scale back on our orders because we just don't have enough people buying stuff. So we didn't want to do it in a way that caused any undue damage within our supply chain. So that scale back has has happened in a way that's kind of equally distributed, I guess I'd say, across the supply chain. And when we think about the future, you know, if you were to read some of the industry publications, I think I just read this morning, I think it was in Women's Wear Daily, that the apparel industry um, as a whole is going to see scale back of a 25 to 30%. And I'd say our company's very much in that same, in that same um, percentage. So that means our, our supply chain also will have to be reconfigured to meet that smaller need. So it's distressing, of course, for a number of reasons. Of course, we are distressed to see the business reduced somewhat. We're distressed because of the impact this would have on the suppliers and on the workers in the supply chain. Um, this certainly isn't their fault. You know, they live day to day, many of them. Um, it's a very vulnerable population in the world. So, you know, we, we just have to do it as consciously and as responsibly as we can. Mm-hmm. On a much smaller, more sort of homespun level, one of the things I've noticed is people um, sewing and in particular, of course, sewing masks. So I, yeah. I wonder if that will have some kind of long-lasting effect. And then and on, a, on a more industrial level, one of the interesting things has been the need for companies to produce things that you, related to the pandemic that are not things that they would normally produce. Is there any of that happening in the fashion industry? Well, yeah, I've been seeing many examples of that. In our case, we are making masks in a, in a very small way, but you know, we've set up a, a small... Um, like a little sewing shop to make about three to 500 masks a week, something like that. I've seen other businesses that are much bigger than we are, you know, shift entire factories over to mask and gown making. I was fascinated to see one of the perfume suppliers of LVMH shift to making hand sanitizer. And, you know, really early on in all of this, and I was, I was very heartened by that. So, yeah, there are ways to repurpose supplier facilities to meet current needs. It's, you know, I I don't know that this is a long-term proposition as we kind of, you know, peak, as the virus peaks and starts a decline. I think that those needs will slip away again. Yeah. Um, But it's definitely possible to do some of that. Well, it makes me wonder, looking forward, you know, I mean, hopefully this pandemic will be in an isolated case, although who knows, but also thinking about climate change and other changes in our world, really, that we anticipate coming down the pike, this sort of flexibility and resilience, I think, is potentially going to be an important part of our society, right? So it's interesting to see what capacity is sort of built in that way. The The masks that you're making, those are, are you making those locally here? Yes, yes. In our, um, we have a tiny factory here in Irvington, New York. So, oh, that's interesting. And are you sending them to medical professionals, or where are they going? 
You know, I don't know the answer to that question. I'm not the one who's coordinating it, but it came in, it was a request through New York State. So I'm not exactly sure how they're getting distributed. Hmm, Interesting. Where are you sort of mentally? Is this shifting where you're thinking in terms of where your job might be headed in the future? Is this, do you have any thoughts along those lines? You know, there's a lot of uncertainty embedded in this, this whole experience. You know, I start with started with the business uncertainty, not knowing how or when or even if, you know, the business will recover in any way that we recognize it, um, in any form that we recognize. So with that, of course, are all of our jobs in the company. And as an individual, it's very disconcerting to not know exactly what the future holds. You know, I always felt like I was going to be with this company for rest of my life, you know, until I retire. I've been here now 26 years and never thought I would face a time when the future of my job is truly not known. It's, Mm -hmm. I just don't know. So I have for a long time been thinking about, you know, what would life beyond Eileen Fisher look like? And I, I feel like I, I should be really considering those kinds of options. One thing that I am doing. Um, first of all, I just set up my own personal website, which I've been wanting to do for a couple of years and now I have the time. So I set up a website, amyjhall.com, which is just a place for me to put my personal sort of like blog writing and just a little bit about myself. But eventually that site will link to a professional website. And I am going to start a consultancy, a coaching business related to the kinds of things I know how to do, which is to help people like me in other companies or people who are entering new sustainability roles and and don't know how to start, that kind of thing. Mm -hmm. Um, So I see this as an opportunity. Who knows if there will be any work out there, (laughs) if anyone would ever want to hire me. But Oh, I I think that your expertise will will be in demand. (laughs) Thank you. I'll I'll quote you on that down there. (laughs) Yeah. So, you know, and I'm keeping my job for as long as, as I can, but um, in the meantime, these other things will happen and, and, you know, we just have to do what we have to do. Right. Yeah. Well, I mean, it's sort of, I feel like what we're experiencing right now is really pointing out the weakness of this capitalist economy that we all run on. And I think poses some sort of deep questions about, you know, how do we feed and clothe our population in a reasonable way, but in a way that is also sustainable in a long term where there's a lot of uncertainty potentially? So, so are you writing about sustainability issues on on this website, or what kind of things are you writing oh, about? Oh, I just write about all kinds of things. Right now, it's I only have three things up, but I'm writing something else. There's personal experiences I've had. There, it's just a variety of stuff. It's not specific to my profession, but um, I'll get there next, you know, with this other business that I set up. So there'll be two separate ways to to tune into to what I'm working on. And the other business I have to incorporate, but I've got the URL already reserved. So it'll be called Impactorum, hmm. impactorum.com. So stay tuned on that. Yeah, That's going to be the sustainability focused one. Okay. I'm curious. I look, I look forward. <laughs> uh, and so is that, is that a part of how you're keeping yourself sane these days? Is there anything else you're doing to sort of oh. maintain your, your <laughs> mental health? <laughs> mental I, you know, I used to go to normally in a normal 
world, I would be going to the gym two to three times a week and I can't do that. So I'm doing everything I can think of to, to stay fit, you know, here inside the house and thankfully in my yard and on my bike when the weather is, you know, conducive. I'm also, I have a kind of addiction to games and puzzles. And so I've started this ridiculous thousand piece puzzle that is the most difficult thing I've ever done. And I think my family regrets that <laughs> I ever purchased it because they don't see me much, but I'm determined to finish it. And so that's how I'm spending sort of my, my downtime. Oh, that's interesting. You should send me a picture of the puzzle. Oh, I will. I will. Oh, you know, I also, I play the bassoon. So every few days I'll pull that out and tinker around on it. Good for you. Music seems like one of the things that, that maybe it is flourishing and in kind of a more of a 19th century model almost, you know, of people playing Absolutely. at home. and Yeah. I it's agree. A, it's a nice thought. Well, thanks so much for taking the time to chat with me. It sounds like you're, you're healthy and you're doing all kinds of interesting things. So that's nice to hear. I'm trying. And thanks, thanks for talking. It's fun. Since we spoke, Amy Hall launched her new advising firm, Impactorum. Eileen Fisher is slowly coming back to life. Amy tells me that though they are hanging on, they will come out of this smaller and leaner. For links to Amy's websites and pictures of the puzzle she did finish, go to the In the Weeds website, in-the-weeds.net. Coming up, I'll speak with author Joe Wallace about his novel, Invasive Species. Slippery.